following message is by Brother Connor Harris, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Tonight, our lesson is going to jump around a little bit more than it did last week. Um, if you remember last week, we studied primarily one psalm and kind of really dived on those verses to understand uh, what the psalmist was saying there. But uh, tonight there's going to be a little bit of uh, moving around to study what we learned last week and see how it bears out in Scripture. And if you want to and you have your Bibles, you can turn to, we'll be in Isaiah uh, and a little bit in Hosea and a little bit in Micah. So if you, you want to find those, you can kind of keep your finger in those places. Last week, if you remember, the author of Psalm 115, he warned us that those who make and worship idols... Uh, will become like them. That was a principle that we really tried to focus in on last week, and we tried to understand what he was saying. And we learned that the idols of the nations, as he called, said, they were shameful creations which were ultimately senseless, right? They didn't have any life. They didn't have any power. They couldn't do what their maker wanted them to do. Uh, they were totally unsatisfying to their human makers, right? I made this idol, and I gave him eyes, but he can't see me. I, I gave him ears, but he's not hearing any of my prayers or anything like that. When the idol worshiper looked for power and for meaningful function out of his idol that he made, the idol was lifeless, was useless. Uh, and sadly, what we, what we read is that those who made them and worshipped them became the same way. Uh, that meant that the one who worships an idol becomes shameful. The one who uh, worships an idol becomes as senseless and lifeless and as uh, even unsatisfying to their maker as this idol was. I think those are reasonable conclusions we could have drawn last week. And the purpose of this week is to take that lesson and see how it uh, is observable in the history of Israel. Uh, Today we're, we're going to do a case study of Israel and specifically of the divided kingdom. Um, if idolatry has any effect on humans, right, if it has any kind of effect on our hearts, wouldn't we expect to see it in the history of Israel? <laughs> you know, would, wouldn't we expect to see it in this nation that, you know, we can read about how idolatrous they were? So we would think that, you know, if we're, we're drawing these conclusions from the psalm about what idolatry does to us, that we need to be able to see that, that happens to Israel as well, and I think that's exactly what we see. Uh, as we're going to read in Isaiah and, and those, the other two prophets I mentioned, uh, we're going to see that they become senseless. They become shameful, and they become this, I think, in, in a sense, a disappointing creation by, to, their, to their maker. You, you haven't done what I wanted you to do. You haven't done what I formed you to do, uh, and it was all because of idolatry. Before we... Uh, go to Isaiah, though, I want to remind us about who Israel was supposed to be in the first place, right? And I pulled up a few verses up here, and I know you, most of you probably have your Bibles with you. Uh, we were going to be jumping around so much, it was going to be easier for me to just pull them up here than, than on Logos, and I've, I've got a slideshow of some verses. But in Exodus, listen to what the Lord told Israel. He said, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. 
For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I kind of gave some emphasis to a few of those phrases. This is what Israel was supposed to look like. What God wanted out of this, this chosen people that he, he brought out of Egypt. I want you to be this treasure possession. This thing that I, I value so much and is just so incredibly precious to me. And he says, if you'll obey my voice and you'll keep my covenant, you'll be that treasure possession among all the peoples. Uh, you're going to be to me this kingdom of priests. You're, you're going to be like these ones who are, are interceding between man and God. You're, you're the one sharing who I am with the nations and, and displaying who I am to the nations. You'll be this holy nation, one that, that's set apart for me. You are dedicated to me, to worshiping the, your Lord, the one who brought you out of Egypt, the, the God of Abraham, of Isaac. So this is Israel. This was what God wanted them to be. But now I want to read for you uh, another passage. In Isaiah chapter 5, I want you to see if this sounds any different from what we just read. In Isaiah 5, Lord said this. He said, let me, well, Isaiah wrote this. Uh, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it yet, uh, than I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Here, God was comparing Israel and Isaiah to a vineyard. And I, I, he took care, and he put all this effort into planting the vineyard and, and cultivating it and taking care of it and preparing it to be a fruitful, pleasing vineyard. But it yielded wild grapes. It wasn't worth anything. It didn't give him what he wanted it to. Now, how different is that from what God wanted them to be at, at Mount Sinai, a holy nation, one that was dedicated to him, a, 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 a precious treasure. A, a vineyard that yields wild grapes, that's not a precious thing. That's, that's not this valuable treasure that's pleasing to you. What happened? What got them to that point in Isaiah's prophecy, in Isaiah's day, that made them such a detestable, unpleasing vineyard to the Lord? It was because of their idolatry, and that's what we're going to see tonight. It didn't happen overnight for Israel. Israel didn't just suddenly one day become idolatrous and live contrary to the word of God and be displeasing. This was, in fact, something that, that happened over a long period of time. Uh, they, later in that, in that passage of Isaiah, he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. I'm looking for justice in Israel out of this pleasant planting, but I'm not getting it. That didn't happen just overnight, but it was because of a history of idolatry. It was because the generations before them were idolatrous, and they were idolatrous, and the results were wild graves. I want to give you a little bit of a brief history of, it, uh, of the, the idolatry, and I'm, I'm not going to, certainly we, we want to get to Isaiah and those prophets. But it's important we understand this, that even before Israel split into the divided kingdom, 
There was idolatry in Israel, right? Solomon, the king, in fact, introduced it to his people and condoned it to his people. Uh, he had wives of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, Egyptians. He had wives from all those different people, and he embraced all their different gods. And if you remember, Solomon built altars even on the high places, which is specifically where God told them not to build places of worship. And he's building temples to idols on the high places to appease his wives, to do what he wanted to do. Eventually, the United Kingdom of Israel split, right? We know of the, the northern kingdom, which is just generally called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah, right? It was just made up of the tribe of Judah in the south. This kingdom split after God took it from Solomon, and idolatry continued. And it's really sad when you read in First and Second Kings the line of kings that came after Solomon in the northern kingdom and the kings that came after him in the southern kingdom. Because over and over and over again, you read about how they wouldn't do what was right in God's eyes, but they continued to sin just like their fathers had done. And one really prominent one was in the northern kingdom. In the north, after Solomon, was, the kingdom was stripped from him. In the north, God gave the kingdom to Jeroboam. And he told him, I'm going to bless you if you'll walk in my ways. I'm going to give you this kingdom, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you all these, these wonderful things and take care of you, provide for you and your people if you'll follow me. And then Jeroboam turned to idols. Jeroboam built two golden calves for his people to worship, and he built more temples in the high places than Solomon had. And when you read First and Second Kings, a pattern you'll see is that the, all the kings that came after him in the north they continued in, quote, the sin of Jeroboam. That was idolatry. That was these calves that he built where they would go and worship them instead of the God of Israel. Meanwhile, in the south, what were they doing? They were also idolatrous. <laughs> they were also turning to idols that the northern kingdom had introduced and that they were bent to do anyway. They were no better. Better. After the northern kingdom was judged by God for the idolatry, the author of 2 Kings even says that Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. Just when you think that, okay, the northern kingdom is pretty bad, but at least we have Judah. You know, at least we've got Jerusalem, and we have the people down there, and they're religious, and they're going to do what God wants, and we find out they're also idol worshipers. So after Solomon, every king that followed him. Mean, again, there were a couple exceptions. In the south, there was a man named Hezekiah who was not like any of the kings before or after him. Every once in a while, there would be little bits of religious reform where one king would say, I'm going to tear down this idol that someone made. I'm going to tear down this altar. But they wouldn't get rid of Jeroboam's golden calves. They wouldn't get rid of all the altars and the temples. They would harbor idolatry. And guys, that went on for generations and generations in Israel and Judah. It wasn't overnight. It kept happening. They harbored it. They turned to idols over and over and over again. I say all of this so that we understand that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an overnight thing and that we understand what led to the nation's poor spiritual condition. Because we're going to read some strong language tonight from God about who his people were, about their spiritual condition, and we didn't need to know where that came from. Uh, they were reaping the consequences of their idolatry. Uh, these were the people uh, that Isaiah and Micah and Hosea wrote to. Idolaters. People who worshipped other gods and not the God of Israel. They maybe at times thought they were worshipping the God of Israel, but were doing it incorrectly without a heart turned to him. 
So what was the condition of them? After these generations of idol worship, what did Israel look like after that? Did they become like their idols? Did they become shameful and and senseless? We're going to start in Hosea tonight and see how exactly that happened. Hosea and Isaiah and Micah, they all prophesied around the same time period. Uh, You'll see at the beginning of each of their prophecies that it lists some names of different kings. It was all around the same general time they prophesied. They were contemporaries. And while the other two uh, men were prophesying to the southern kingdom, Hosea was prophesying to the northern kingdom. And you'll sometimes hear him called uh, something like the, the deathbed prophet of Israel. He was like the last call to the northern kingdom to repent before, Is, uh, before Assyria came in and conquered them. Now, listen, they're coming, guys. You need to turn back to the Lord and get ready. That was Hosea. Uh, the northern kingdom was physically prosperous at the time. But they were spiritually diseased, worshiping idols. They had joined themselves to idols. In fact, uh, it's what, how Hosea words it. And if you remember, Hosea's life was used as an illustration of the spiritual, idol, uh, the spiritual adultery going on, right? God was, uh, he, Hosea was the one that God commanded to take a wife that, that wouldn't be faithful to him, right? That was supposed to illustrate how Israel had been totally unfaithful to God. So Hosea, it's filled with this language about this adultery against the Lord, filled this language about the, the idolatry they participated in and how despicable it was to their creator. Uh, the result of their spiritual adultery was that they were just totally senseless to the hand that was providing for them. Uh, I have the first verse pulled up that I want to highlight here in Hosea 2.8. When Hosea is talking about Israel, talking about the northern kingdom, he says, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. They've got, the northern kingdom, they had all these wonderful things. They had these blessings. They had this grain. They had wine. They had oil. They had silver and gold. They were well off. But they were taking all those blessings from God, and they were using them as sacrifices for Baal using them as sacrifices for the very the, the, the enemy, right? Idols. How, how offensive to your creator. I, I'm, they are so senseless right now in their idol worship that they can't even tell that Yahweh is the one giving them food and giving them the wealth they have. They don't even know that the creator of the universe is the one providing for them. They think it's Baal. I mean, how can you be that backwards from what's really going on? How can you be uh, so unaware that it's really God providing for you? They were worshiping idols. Feinberg, in his commentary on the, the Minor Prophets, he said this. He says, Israel again attributes the benefits of God to her worship of vain idols. No words could bring out more forcefully the insanity of idol worship such surface so befogs and darkens the mind that the beneficences, the, the good things that God gives, are credited to senseless vanities which profit not. This just shows how insane it is to worship an idol and just how insane one's mind will get when you turn to idols instead of the Lord. They can't even see that God is providing for them. They're giving it to Baal. All the glory is going to Baal. Next in Hosea 4. Hosea says, Ephraim, that was kind of a poetic way of talking about the northern kingdom. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. 
This is kind of, I, I, we're kind of jumping. It's like a long few verses there. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Their rulers dearly love shame, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Here we're seeing some of this language we saw last week, right, in the psalm. The psalmist kind of presented the idols as a very shameful, detestable, dishonorable thing. Now God's saying, Ephraim, my people, Israel, they're loving these shameful practices, and they're going to be ashamed because of their sacrifices. He even tells them, just leave them alone. They're, they're so dishonorable, so, so shameful that he just tells, you know, everyone else who's looking at what Israel's doing, you need to just get out of there. You need to just leave those idol worshipers alone because they are absolutely backwards right now. He illustrates the same kind of point of Israel's, uh, their, their gross character, their gross spiritual state in Hosea 7, 8. And I love, this might be my favorite illustration we'll look at tonight. It says, Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is like a cake not turned. Have you ever not turned something you were cooking? Not turned? Let, 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 picture for yourself for a moment using a stove top or on a pan and you're making, let's say, a pancake. You pour it out. You pour out a pancake on that hot surface and you just don't move it at all. You just let it sit there for a while. What do you get? You get a burnt pancake on the bottom and you get a pancake on top that's not cooked. It's a pretty gross picture, right? It's like you turn to one side of the pancake and you go, oh boy, pancake, and it's burnt. And you go, well, at least the other side won't be so bad. And you turn it and it's not cooked well. And you go, there's nothing good about this pancake. There's not, there's not a good side to the pancake I'm making right now. There's nothing good. It's Ephraim. Is a cake not turned. It's a cake that's, that's not evenly cooked. Uh, that's an easy picture for us, right? I, I don't do a lot of baking myself. I, I do a little bit. Uh, I have watched a lot of the Great British Baking Show, and so I know, I know how offensive an uneven bake is to someone, and so you can picture this yourself. Uh, Ephraim, is, it's a cake not turned. There's, there's nothing good about it. It's gross. There's no worth there. You, at one point, maybe you thought you were going to get something really awesome, pancake, and then you got something burned and uncooked. Hosea 9, more of this language of the shame. Talks about Israel and he says, but they, talking about Israel, they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. There's more of this language. And in fact, this, these verses here, they, they reference back to something that happened in Numbers with the earlier generations of Israel that that. Uh, started taking wives from the Moabites, if you remember. And so they started also taking the gods of the Moabites, like God told them they would do. And if you remember, God, God uh, commanded execution for those involved in that, that mixing with the pagan practices. And there was a man named Phineas who took it very seriously and speared a couple people because of their disobedience to God. It was an offensive thing back then, so much that God commanded execution. Now we get here and God's saying, Israel right now, Ephraim, they're doing the same thing. They're coming to Baal Peor and they're consecrating themselves to the thing of shame. They're, they're dedicating themselves. They're, they're becoming, uh, in a sense, we could say it, they're becoming holy to these shameful things, not to God. And they become detestable. Ooh, something is detestable. You just, you won't turn away. It's, you don't want it. You want nothing to do with that thing. Detestable like the thing they loved. Isn't that what we saw last week? It's happening right here in Israel. 
Israel worshipped shameful, senseless idols, so they became shameful, senseless people. You know, why, didn't they, why couldn't they understand that all their practices were so offensive to God? Because they weren't turned to God. Because their faith wasn't in him. Their faith was in these idols. They did these things that to us, again, we sit here today and we, we, we're reading our Bible and we're studying, and we say, how, how could they not see this? Because they're looking at idols. They're not looking at God and his character and his word. Now we'll go to Micah for a moment. Micah, Micah doesn't have quite as many maybe relevant um, uh, passages to what we're studying that we'll look at tonight, but it does have a couple things I want to bring up. And he was prophesying. Uh, in this case, Micah was prophesying to the southern kingdom. Same sort of time period, same sort of acts going on, idolaters. And in Micah 2, we see just how backwards the thinking uh, of a person gets when they worship an idol. He said, do not preach, thus they preach. The, the people of Judah, they're saying, don't preach, Micah. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtaking us. He's telling them that judgment's coming. Get ready. God, God is preparing judgment for, for, for this idolatry, for this spiritual adultery. And they're saying, don't preach to us, Micah. Nothing's going to happen to us. You shouldn't preach of such things. You shouldn't say that kind of thing. Use that kind of language. Disgrace isn't going to overtake us. Look at what God says. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? <laughs> Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Are you sure about that? How backwards. Micah, just don't even preach to us. We know nothing's going to happen to us bad. And you're worshiping idols. In Micah chapter 3, when he's talking about the nation, again, he says, Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. The people in Israel, uh, down in the southern kingdom, especially here, they had started taking uh, spiritual, what we might call spiritual practices or practices of worship. Again, where we've got priests, we've got prophets, we've got those who are supposed to be leading the nation, and they're turning it into an idolatrous practice. I'm doing this for money. I'm, I'm only giving judgment for whoever can pay me the much, pay me the most. I'm only teaching people about what I think God's word says for a price. You know, the prophets, they're only going to give you some kind of prophecy if you'll give them some money first. There's the idolatry there, right? There's worship of money. They're not turned to God. They're turned to money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Look how, good, look how awesome we are. Are we not the children of Abraham? Nothing bad's going to happen to us. When we just sit here today and we think, how can, they, how can they be so wrong? How can you miss it so, so clearly that what you're doing is not going to be pleasing to God? That, that holding back the word of God as something you can, you can get bribes for or you can take payments for, how can you not see that, that, that abusing people is so wrong to God? Judah had become so backwards. They were senseless, just like we saw in Hosea. They were a, like a senseless, unresponsive idol. Now, we don't want to hear preaching. It's not going to happen to us. We're going to be fine. Nothing's going to overtake us. I'm not, we're not responding to your words, Micah. It's like that idol in the Psalms, right? I've made this idol, and I want it to listen to me, but it won't do anything. 
I want it to I want it to 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 answer and to be useful, but it's senseless. It, why why can't I get through to this idol? God's sitting here. Why can't I get through to Judah? Why won't they listen to me? Let's go to Isaiah. And we'll spend more time in Isaiah than the other two we have. Now, Isaiah is a long book, right? <laughs> Isaiah is, is a long portion of Scripture. And so we're going to pick a few passages to read here. Uh, you could spend all night looking at the places in Isaiah where God condemns idolatry and talks about you know, what, what it's done to his people. But I first want to focus on the very first chapter of Isaiah. It, it is a theme-setting chapter. You want to know what the rest of Isaiah is going to kind of be like? You need to read the first chapter, and you're going to see, uh, you know, what God has to say about Israel, what they deserve, what he wants to do for them if they'll turn to him. And this is what he says in the first few verses. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And he starts Isaiah this way. That's the first thing you read in Isaiah. He, it, there's, there's a lot of this legal language in the first chapter. It's kind of like this indictment against Israel. Okay, heavens and earth, give ear, listen up, be witnesses to what I'm about to say to Israel, and tell me if I'm not wrong. <laughs> tell me if what I'm about to say about them is not wrong. I, I brought them up. I train them like children, but they've rebelled against me. Even an ox knows who its owner is. Even a donkey knows who its, its master's crib, right? They, they know their owner. They know who takes care of them. The animals, they know who's going to feed them. But Israel is lower than an ox or a donkey at this moment. <laughs> the way that they're acting is, is even less than the mind of a donkey or an ox. They don't even know who's giving them the food to eat, who's blessing them and taking care of them. They don't even understand who's been rearing them like children, who's been putting up with their, their childlike nature and who's had that kind of patience. He goes on in Isaiah in that very first chapter, verse 5, Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Uh, you can read in verses 4 through 8 how Judah, they didn't even sense how wrong they were, how diseased they were. You're sick, Judah. You're, you're going the wrong way. You're hurting yourself because of idolatry. And you're not even doing anything to take care of it. Why are you still going to be struck down? Why do you just continue to act the same way? Treat your wounds. He, he says in those verses, you're, you haven't even taken the first steps to try to cure the wounds that you have. The spiritual harm that you've caused because of your idolatry. What are you doing? You're like a hurt person who's just ignoring the hurt. Goes on in verse 10. And, and there's, there's almost a little response in chapter 1. You, yeah, you'll see it right before this, and I think in verse 9, where there's this verse that says, man, man if we were like Sodom and Gomorrah, we, we'd be totally destroyed. Thank goodness we're not like them is kind of the claim. You know, at least we're not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah here. And then God essentially calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Does that sound a little bit familiar what we read last week in Psalms? What it like? Hear. Give ear. What are they not doing? They, they're not hearing. They're not listening. 
Israel's got ears, but they're not hearing what God wants them to do. They're not listening to his way. They're not obeying him. Now, he goes on before we get to that verse. Judah, you can go through in verses 12 through 17 and see how Judah couldn't see that their practices were an offense to God. Uh, they were bringing offerings to God that were, again, covered in blood. Their hands were covered in blood because they were murderers. They were abusing the people. They were idolatrous. They were doing all these things to harm, uh, again, the, the, the widows and the impoverished and the, the sojourners. They were totally oblivious to what God's word wanted, and yet they kept bringing offerings to him. And God says, am I going to take that? You actually think that coming to me and offering a sacrifice with that kind of heart, I'm going to care what kind of animal you bring to me or how many of them you bring to me? He's not going to take them. Idolatry had made the people senseless to the Lord's desire for them. We don't even, they couldn't even tell what God really wanted from them as far as their, their worship and their, their, their obedience in, in offering sacrifices. Yet the Lord still sent Isaiah to them, right? And we know there were obviously people in Judah who fear the Lord. And yet to this people who weren't going to hear and who that God knew, you know what, they're, they've got ears, but they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah. God still sent him to him. In Isaiah 6, he says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And as you go on in those verses, you'll, you get more of the language we saw, the sensory language of, you know, having ears that they're not going to hear, having eyes they're not going to see you. Isaiah, so many of these people, they're, they're not going to turn to you because they, they refuse to fear my name. They refuse to worship me. They want to worship idols. And you know what? God allows them to have that choice that they made. Now, as I mentioned beforehand, this wasn't something that just happened overnight with these people. They, they had continually, repeatedly rejected God's leadership. And turned to idols. Said, you know what, God? I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want, don't preach to us. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. And so God tells Isaiah, go and preach to them. But they're not going to hear you. But I, you're going to go. He still sends him. They had made their decision, many of them, and they dulled their hearts. God blinded their eyes further. He says, you, you want to be like your idols? You want to have all the fruits of, of, uh, fruit of, of idol worship? I'll give it to you. You can be senseless like them. You can be powerless like them. You can have all the shame and all the, the, the despicable nature that, that idols have. I'll give that to you. And, and he did with many of them. They wouldn't fear the Lord. They wouldn't conform to his way. He gave them the fruit of their own way to become like idols. God, God respects our choice in that way. And he'd been putting up with them for a long time as his children. <laughs> now, we're going to skip way over to chapter 42. Again, on your own time, I encourage you to read through Isaiah, to, to study this and to, to, to see what all he has to say about them. But I'm really trying to hone in on some of the language that brings us back to the psalm we studied last week. And this might sound a little familiar if you were in my Sunday school class uh, this past Sunday. Uh, in Matthew, we saw... Uh, Matthew quote from verses around this area in talking about Jesus and how he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Now here in these verses, God is talking about Israel. And look what he says to them. He says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf is my messenger whom I send? Who is blind is my dedicated one 
or blind as the servant of the Lord. Boy, you were supposed to be my servant, Israel. You were supposed to be this holy nation to me, this nation of priests. You were supposed to be this treasured possession. Hear, listen to me, you deaf. They, they, they couldn't hear. They're like their idols now, aren't they? They've got ears, they're not hearing. They, they've got eyes, they're, they're not seeing. And it's a very spiritual thing, right? We're not talking about just what they hear and, and see physically. We're talking about their spiritual perception. Why, can, why don't you understand and listen to me in your heart about what I want for you? Look, you blind, that you may see. He says, who is there that's as blind as Israel, my servant, or as deaf as my messenger whom I send? They're supposed to be the ones that stand out among the nations as these people who revere the Lord and are in tune with the word of God and what he wants for them and for the rest of the world. They're supposed to be the ones who are relaying that, being that kingdom of priests. And yet, who is there like Israel as blind as them or as deaf as them? Who is as blind as my dedicated one or as blind or blind as a servant of the Lord? Judah, the Lord's servant, was, was totally oblivious to the will of God, not understanding, not hearing. And I think that goes hand in hand with what the psalmist said last week. All, all the idols, they, they have ears and eyes and mouth, and they can't use any of those things. They can't perceive anything you're saying to them or you want them to do. They're useless. They're unsatisfying. Now we have Israel. Man, God hears. God, God cultivated this vineyard. He gave them what they needed. He prepared them to be a kingdom of priests, but they, they won't because they won't fear him. But they worship idols. As a nation, the people had failed to walk in God's word and serve him. Uh, and because their faces were turned to the idols, their backs were to the Lord. They, they weren't listening to what he had to say. They didn't care about what he wanted from them. And it was exactly at like how Jesus described serving a master. You remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, what he told his disciples? He told them, don't lay up treasures here on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. And what did he go on to say but that essentially their, their devotion to earthly gain, that was an idol, the earthly power, earthly will. He said that had blinded them. That's given you a bad eye. And he told them, he gave them the choice. You can't serve two masters. You're going to have to pick one way or the other. You know, either you're going to make the choice day by day in, your, in the situations you face, you're going to make the choice that God is your master, that you're going to serve him, or you're going to serve ba uh, mammon. You're going to serve the God of money and wealth. You're going to serve that idol. And if you serve one, you're back to the other. If you, serve, if you love one, you're going to hate the other one. Right? I think we see that in Israel here. They're idolatry. They're turned to idols, not hearing what the Lord wants. And they've become just as shameful and senseless as the idols they worshipped. Now, I believe that's the last verse I've got up here. So having seen all this, seen all these verses, I know we've jumped around a lot. I want you to get a big picture of what Israel was like. Can we not say that the descriptions of Israel and Judah matched the description of the idols in Psalm 115? Can we not say that there's, there's a clear parallel there, right? The psalmist said, you're going to become like those idols you worship, and Israel did. And just like the idol was this, man, it's just unsatisfying, and it's not doing what I made it to do. Here, Israel's doing the same thing. They became a shameful, dishonorable people. They became a senseless, unsatisfying people to their maker, the Lord. 
They should have been spiritually in tune with what God wanted. They should have had a mature understanding of his word, but instead they were living and making decisions without any sense of what his will was because they, they didn't want to listen to him. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. Isn't, isn't the Lord in the midst of us? The same author I quoted earlier, Feinberg, said, How unspeakably sad to build temples to idols and fortified cities for the dependence upon the flesh and neglect the only source of help and hope in God. How, just how sad is that, that you'll, you're going to build temple, uh, build, go to all the effort to build a temple for an idol, or you're going to go to all the effort to build up a fortified city because you think that's going to protect you, and you're not going to turn to the Lord. You're not going to trust in him for your help and as your shield. Again, we even think about there with that quote, a fortified city. Well, that's a good thing. Certainly, God, God, God told them to build the wall around Jerusalem, but he also told them that that wall is worthless without me. And he showed them that. He showed Judah that. You can trust in all these other things that are not the Lord, be it money, be it an idol that looks like a person, be it uh, whatever it is, the, the walls of your city. And that's what your heart ultimately rests in. Boy, we got some big walls, right? <laughs> no one's getting past that. But in the end, if they didn't have the Lord, if they weren't trusting in him, what, what help did they have? He's their shield. He's their rest. Israel, after what we've read, Israel, by the time Isaiah came around and Hosea and Micah, Israel had all the glory of a piece of wood or a piece of metal, right? The things that they made their idols out of, they were just as glorious as those things by the end of it. Uh, instead of reflecting the glory of their creator, which... He wanted them to do. They could have shared in the glory and honor that comes with being a servant of the Lord. That comes with being, as for them, a part of the chosen nation. They could have had that honor and glory. They could have reflected the creator like we're all supposed to do. And yet, what did they reflect? They reflected idols in that they were shameful just like their idols were. They were, they were senseless just like their idols. They were inglorious, not worthy of any praise or honor just like their idols weren't. And yet, what's amazing about this, well, there are many things that are amazing about this, is that God didn't forget the nation he had chosen. That God didn't take the nation of, of Israel uh, and just totally discard them. He judged that generation, did he not? But he was faithful to his promise to them, uh, to the nation. In fact, he promised them redemption in Isaiah. And what I love about these prophecies we, we've just read, and we didn't highlight that as much tonight so far because we we're looking at the senselessness of, of Israel. But in all these prophecies, what you'll find is that God offers redemption. God offers a, a redemption and forgiveness to those who will turn to him, right? If they'll, they'll turn back and they'll look to the Lord, he'll, he'll provide for them, but so often they wouldn't. And I'll read for you, and I, I don't have that up here because it was a few verses long. Um, in Isaiah 42, we just looked at that, right? We saw about how, how who's as deaf as Israel? You know, who's as blind as my servant? But in Isaiah 42, right before he talks about how blind Israel is, he talks about another servant. And this is the part that may be familiar for those who are in, in class on Sunday. God doesn't leave them, uh, again, those who fear his name without, without hope, right? He says, behold, my servant whom I uphold. We're not talking about Israel anymore. 
He says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Now listen to what he's going to do. He says, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Here we have another servant who's coming, don't we? We're not talking about Israel. We're not even talking about Cyrus, I think, earlier, who, who Isaiah talks about. Here we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Messiah. Matthew says that, right? Jesus was the Messiah who didn't even break a bruised reed, or he, he didn't even uh, quench a smoldering wick. He was the one that wasn't crying out in the streets, but instead he came humbly. He came meekly in the flesh to be a sacrifice, to bring redemption for Israel, and as we know, for all the nations. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. And isn't that so pertinent to what we're talking about? The blindness that idolatry causes in mankind, God says, I'm, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to open eyes that are blind. I'm going to bring some redemption. I'm going to bring people back to me. It's all going to be through the ministry of this servant, the righteous servant, the beloved servant. See, God wasn't going to be as powerless as their idols. And this servant wasn't going to be a failure like Israel and like all of mankind. This servant was going to fulfill the word of God perfectly. He wasn't going to turn his back to the Lord and worship other things and trust in other things, but he was going to obey the Father completely. And in that, he was going to bring redemption as a sacrifice for, for Israel and for all mankind. That's Jesus. And, and that's, that's maybe just a little teaser of what we're going to get into in the next few weeks. Uh, it's easy to sit back tonight and read these passages and see how Israel fell short of God's standard. Um, but let's all understand tonight that we are not superior to them. And I think we, we surely understand that, don't we? That when we look at Israel and we see how sinful they are and how senseless they were at times, that's, that really should be kind of looking in the mirror for us, shouldn't it? I can think of times in my own life where I was, I mean, I was senseless to the word of God. I did not care about what he had to say. Especially when I think back to when I was lost, I hadn't trusted in Christ. I didn't care about what God wanted for me. And when I heard the gospel and believed in Christ, and I had new birth, and I had a new spirit in me, God is, God is working on me. He's, he's opening my eyes that are blind. He's, he, is, he is helping me to not be as, as senseless as I once was. Uh, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, so for us, I think reading this tonight, especially if you're a child of God, uh, let's heed the warning we've seen tonight. 
Um, devoting your mind and efforts to idols instead of our Creator is going to lead you into foolishness and destruction. It's going to lead you into bad choices. When you say, I'm going to respect this more than I respect God and His Word. And even if you're a child of God, I believe you can still hinder your service for Christ by worshiping idols in your life. You can still become a vessel that's not useful for God in this world by turning to idols instead of Him. And if we continually reject God's leadership in our life, we shouldn't be surprised when we act spiritually blind and deaf toward Him. When we start making decisions that are totally not in line with what God wants and just get us into more trouble and get the people we're around into more trouble, it's going to happen when you're walking around blind because you're worshiping a blind idol. So instead for us, our takeaway is this, turn, turn toward him. <laughs> you know, this week our takeaway, turn toward the Lord. Serve him above all. You know, and the decisions that you make during the week, whatever it is, say first and foremost, I want to serve God. You know, I, maybe I don't know what the decision is yet, but I know this, that God is deserving of my respect more than anything else or anyone else. He's deserving of my devotion more than any other idol in this world. Don't let idolatry deafen you to God's word like it did to so many in Israel. Don't, don't let your, your trust in the things of this world start to make you so hard in your heart against what God is telling you to do. Uh, but instead, worship him and, and pray for God to soften your heart, to heal, to hear what he has to say and to uh, be more committed to him. Next week, we're going to broaden this to all mankind. And I've already done this a little bit tonight, but we're going to look back in the New Testament. We're going to see what Paul wrote about idolatry, and we're also going to read a little bit about what God did to fix idolatry, and that'll be for a couple weeks. Be praying about that, please, and be, go ahead and you can read ahead in Romans if you'd like. Let's go ahead and we'll, we're going to have a word of prayer before we dismiss. Um, if you'd join with me, please. Lord, as we look tonight in your word and we read about Israel and we see what idolatry did to their hearts, what it did to their minds, Lord, I just pray that you would help us all this week to take that as a warning. Uh, Lord, to, to see this warning and to turn to you this week instead, to understand that God... Idol, uh, idols hold nothing for us in this world, Lord. They can't help us, but Lord, that you're a faithful deliverer. Lord, you're our redeemer, and Lord, you are a, a sure refuge that we can run to in all situations. Lord, I just, I'm so thankful that you sent Christ to die for us, Lord, as we start to realize even more how sinful we are and how, fall, uh, how short we've fallen of your standard. God, I'm so thankful all the more for Christ and who he was, the life that he lived, Lord, and your grace in sending him to die for us. Lord, help us to trust him even more this week. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.